Hi, I'm Danielle, and welcome to Unboxing Humans. Each week, I speak with incredible humans about the weird moments that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Greg Besner. Greg is a serial entrepreneur as the founder of four companies, an adjunct professor at NYU Stern School of Business, and the author of The Culture Quotient, 10 Dimensions of a High-Performance Culture. Greg's current company is a super premium beach brand called Sunflow. He is also the founder and former CEO of Culture IQ, a global company that helps organizations to create high-performance cultures. He founded Culture IQ in 2013, and he and his firm have assisted more than 1,000 organizations and millions of employees to strengthen their company cultures. In 2018, Greg was ranked in USA Today as the eighth best CEO in the United States among a pool of 50,000 companies. He also was named the EY Entrepreneur of the Year in New Jersey in 2003. Greg is frequently published in business and leadership publications and podcasts and is a keynote speaker at leadership conferences around the world on topics of business, culture, and the future of work. Greg earned his MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and his BA from Rutgers University. If you missed last week's episode, make sure to check it out. That's the first part of my conversation with Greg. This week, Greg and I are diving into his most recent business, Sunflow, and how he works with his family to make it a success. It's it's a great segue into Sunflow, and I know we sort of skipped over Culture IQ, but I'm sure we can weave it in because we can tell the Sunflow story, but I know that your daughters were integral in the early days of Sunflow. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, tomorrow's our three-year anniversary. Congratulations. We just you said how you said very young, still young company and it made me count. And tomorrow's our anniversary. We launched Memorial Day three years ago. So when we were launching Sunflow, when we were planning Sunflow, it's been well, five years now. We launched three years ago, but we started working on it because businesses don't just appear out of thin air. We <laughs> do a lot of planning and business planning and then product development and go to market strategy, start to build our products, build our team. While we were doing that, it was really exciting. As I mentioned, the early entrepreneur experiences, it was really exciting this time because our daughters were able to watch us build companies. They knew we were entrepreneurs, but they never seen us build, actually operate and build companies. And we, we were actually, fortunately and unfortunately, unfortunately, the girls were home from school because of COVID. For, they were home for several years. During that time, we were launching the company. So they really got to see us up close and personal building this business. So as part of that, four years ago, when we were raising a little bit, we raised $1.3 million. Uh, we two, the first two years, we funded ourselves. But as we were preparing to go to market where we would need to buy inventory and pay for marketing and hire our first employees, we raised a little bit of outside, well, I don't know if you'd call it a little bit, we raised $1.3 million. Uh, and... Lana, our youngest daughter, was 15 years old at the time, and one of our investors was, potential investors, was coming over for a meeting. Again, offices were closed, so a, a close friend who had been an investor in my prior company was coming over, and Lana asked if she could sit in on the meeting. I was like, oh, 
sure. My my 15 year old asked me to sit in on a business meeting. I was really excited for her to ask that. And at the end of the meeting, after hearing us pitch Sunflow, uh, Lana asked if she could invest 1,000 of her $4,000 in savings. And these are birthday and babysitting savings. And she invested $1,000. She was a first investor in the business. So it may sound terrible. I made my daughter invest $1,000, but it was really a great learning experience for her. <clears throat> I hope that $1,000 is worth more than $1,000 when the business is, is, uh, is said and done. <clears throat> so in addition to that, over the next few years, we opened up pop-up stores. Uh, they helped build out the stores. They helped they staffed the store. They were they would open and close the store, sell to customers. They would help with our social media. Uh, they would help. And actually, which I guess we'll talk a little bit about today, we were on Shark Tank last year. And as part of the Shark Tank experience, because it's a reality show, they make you sign documents that you can't tell anyone that you're applying. You can't tell anyone that you're filming. You can't tell anyone that you're scheduled to be on until three weeks before it airs. So over the course of a year, we were practicing and preparing, couldn't talk to anyone. Of course, our daughters knew because they were home while we were doing this. So they became, uh, they role-played, they pretended they were shark tank sharks and they would fire questions at us in role uh, while role-playing. So they've helped us in all, all ways. And actually that preparation was incredibly helpful because we thought we were ready for shark tank when we went on. And as soon as we started pitching in front of our daughters and they started firing questions at us, we sort of said, wait, stop. We have some more preparation to do. We have, we have some more, we have some more to, to, to work on before we're, <laughs> we're ready to go on the show. So yeah, the girls have been helping as young adults, they've been helping the family business, which, uh, which has become invaluable. It's really full circle. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, but who knows if those early experiences instilled in them <laughs> the, the entrepreneurial drive? I hope so. Well, again, whether it's osmosis or, or <laughs> proactive parenting or something, probably a combination. <laughs> so, and of course, different children have different interests and goals. One of our children is a business school student. And one is a, is creative. She's a dance a dancer, so they help. You know, one gravitates towards doing more creative social media work with us, and and one helps with. I mean, I will ask my younger daughter to read a draft of a email or a letter or an investor document before sending it because she's the, um, you know, she's the smartest one in the family. She's the uh, she's the the literary. Literary uh, one that I asked to proofread for me. It sounds like through all of these businesses, you've managed to keep yourself open to problems that you're encountering. Mm. And I'm wondering when it's so easy to get bogged down in work, and especially you're describing these early days all the pressure that you didn't seem to be feeling, but that was there of needing these businesses to work. How did you keep yourself open to new ideas? You pivoting from one business to finding the next business? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the first two businesses I mentioned how they came about, right? One was the epiphany while 
working in the industry. The second was sort of marrying back into the business. And actually, the, the handbag accessories business, when I was working on Wall Street, uh, the idea was we were going to start a family. And, and Leslie and I, she, Leslie decided that she wanted to work from home. Because back, this is before half the people in the world worked, worked from home. Only about five, actually three and a half percent of people worked from home 23 years ago. So it was very unusual. So we decided that because I had this lucrative role on Wall Street, that we could afford to have Leslie work from home, have a, a home-based business. So we started working on this handbag and accessories business really uh, out of having a flexible work, work schedule. And so we never expected that business to grow the way it did. And that's, and you hear that a lot when you hear stories of, of you know, our business was not a, a famous business that you read about every day. Uh, but if you read a lot of these famous, big famous companies, uh, people never expected these businesses to become enormous. And we never expected our little home-based business to, uh, to out grow my software company, but that's exactly what happened. So your question was, how did I end up keep myself open for, for the next companies? Yeah. So, you know, then culture IQ, which is in a different space that's in the workplace culture space and then Sunflow, which is a beach chair company. Right. I mean, these, what were the ideas that sparked both of sure. those businesses? Yeah. So, so now I'll fill in the blanks. So we started a handbag business. Leslie was at the hospital giving birth to our second daughter. And the next day I flew to a trade show to try to sell our products. Our first customer at that trade show was Zappos. And oh. your listeners will be familiar with Zappos and its story. And, and Zappos was famous for its company culture. They used company culture as a strategy to inspire their employees, to wow their customers, and to even have a wonderful investor relationship. So they became our first customer. They, Zappos was still a startup at the time. This was in 2004. Zappos was launched in 1999. They were still trying to convince brands to sell online. And 20 years ago, many full-priced brands were uncomfortable selling on the internet. And Zappos gave us a very large order, our largest order at the time. And I was very nervous to accept it. So I ended up becoming very friendly with the CEO now departed Tony Shea, who was really a big driver in that company culture. Tony Shea and the rest of his team, really amazing how they were rethinking retail, really partnering with vendors, again, trying to wow their, their customers instead of, you know, as you go to a department store and it's a long way to the checkout line and, and returning is never fun. and and People are sometimes some hard to find salespeople and it's just the whole retail experience can be, can feel very negative. And Zappos was really making the retail experience very positive. They would surprise people with overnight delivery. They would, they would stay on a customer service call for hours and celebrate it. They would consider a customer calling to be an opportunity to build their brand. And even though only 5% of customers would call into Zappos, most people would just, do, would just go online. They really looked at that 5% as an opportunity to wow those customers. And then those customers would go and, and tell their story to other people. And it really worked. Zappos became a billion-dollar company nine years after launching. 
the reason I'm going on and on about Zappos, which is not really what we had planned to talk about, is I ended up becoming an investor in Zappos. Because they were this, our first big customer and I got so friendly with them, I really became wowed myself with the way they were building their company. And as I got more and more involved in Zappos, first as an investor, first as a vendor, and then as, as an investor, and then as a consultant, Leslie and I developed their private label for their handbags, so Zappos branded handbag business. And then I ended up doing some consulting for them, helping them uh, with some of their private label strategy. Uh, what, I, what really stood out to me was their unique culture and how their culture was really being used not just for recruiting and retaining talent, but for really helping them build their brand and their company. And I started using some of those culture strategies in my own management style. And so to answer your question, Culture IQ didn't just come out of thin air. It was over the course of those years, as I became more and more involved in Zappos, that I became more and more excited about how culture could really align with a company strategy to help to help an organization be high performance, um, not just recruiting and retaining talent, but really having a high performance organization. And that's when I decided, when, after I'd sold my software company and after our licenses ended for the handbag business, I was thinking about what I would like to do next, what my next business would be. And I knew culture would be part of it, but at some point I decided maybe instead of culture being the way that I manage my company, maybe culture could be my company. And that's why I launched Culture IQ. So it does tie together. Zappos being my first customer, Zappos really inspiring culture, and then culture being my next company. I love that story because something that our listeners will be familiar with is I always say the dots connect looking backward. Right. And rarely do they connect looking <laughs> forwards. And your entire journey is... Well, I did this. It seemed interesting and I, and I followed it. It seemed like there was an opportunity that was exciting and I went after it and then it led to the next big opportunity. Yes. And it's not really a roadmap or a framework. It's my life and my journey and everyone has their own. And, and yes, you have to be open. There's a, a concept I remember from way back when called the corridor concept. And this is the concept of every time one door closes, another door opens. And as you walk down this hallway, you're imagining this door closes, you go and open another door. And, and I always think of it that way. Culture IQ, similar story. I worked on a business plan. I, my thesis at the time was that many big companies had the resources to hire consultants to help them transform or align their culture. Many small companies didn't have those resources or that expertise. The average company has one HR professional per 130 employees. So if you're an HR professional in a 130 person organization, you really have to be a generalist, right? You have to be able to mm -hmm. do payroll and you have to be able to do hiring and, and recruiting. You have to do furloughs and any terminations. You have to deal with uh, compliance. There's just a whole slew of things you have to do so it's not likely you're also going to be a, a culture expert, right? So mm -hmm. my thesis at the time was to provide tools for smaller organizations because they didn't have the same resources and budgets that large organizations have. 
So that's what I built. I built a, a product. And, and the only real product that many of these small organizations would use would be SurveyMonkey. They would go and set up a free survey, but they didn't really have the deep level of experience to put together the right questions, the right order, the right, the right question choices, to really understand what the data meant, to be able to decide what actions to take based upon that data. So my company was a tool to help these organizations accomplish that. And that's, so the first year, and again, it's I'm jumping forward because it's never easy starting a company, building the plan and, and building the prototype and building the team and raising the capital. And I, again, I had to do all those things. Again, it doesn't just, the company just doesn't appear out of thin air, a lot of work and a lot of self-doubt, even third time in. And, but eventually after launching, we had a hundred small organizations that were using our product after the first year, after the first launch. And what we didn't recognize was that many large organizations were looking for innovative tools. So all of a sudden, large companies started calling on us. And the next thing you know, our customers were getting bigger and bigger. And when, when I sold the, that company five years later, our average customer went from being, and just from revenue, because the number of employees varied pretty meaningfully, but our average customer the first year was paying us about $5,000 a year, which makes sense because they were very small organizations. When we sold the company, our average customer is paying us $88,000 a year, so literally wow. 20 times bigger customers at the end. Because what I didn't recognize was that these large organizations were looking for new and innovative solutions. So that was very surprising. And fortunately, we were able to uh, evolve and our customers pulled us along to, to really evolve our products and solutions to accommodate them. That's, that's fantastic. And I think another example of being open to the new opportunity that's coming towards you. Uh, Sunflow is an e-commerce business. So we'll do a, a quick roundup of Sunflow and, and how transitioning to e-commerce has been. Yeah. So, you know, Sunflow, I guess, brings the, our children back into the story. In 2017, Labor Day weekend, we were vacationing in Delaware, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Our daughters were 13 and 15. So we were dragging beach chairs, umbrellas, towels, toys, food, all the things you have to drag onto the beach. And my wife and I sat down and after dragging the kids and all this clunky beach equipment, yeah. and my wife turned to me and said, wow, someone really needs to reimagine the beach category. Now I'm paraphrasing because she speaks differently. She probably said <laughs> something like, wow, beach products are ugly. And, and then when, as I started to write a business plan, I was talking about disrupting and innovating this hundred year old category. And that's what we did. I mentioned this work-life integration. I'm from a small beach town in South Jersey, outside of Atlantic city. So we always grew up going to the beach. I grew up on the beach. The kids grew up going to the beach and now we live at the beach. And that day on the beach, Leslie had this epiphany. And when I, as I looked around. Hey, because of my life experience growing up the beach, I just thought this was a great idea. At the beginning of our conversation today, <clears throat> I mentioned to you that often it was great people who had great ideas and great products, and I helped them commercialize. This is another example of that. My wife had this epiphany that beach chairs and accessories, there was really very few options. They were often very inexpensive and not very fashionable, not very functional choices. 
and she thought we can make a premium product that was more fashionable, more functional, and people would love that choice. And that was the inspiration and that was the beginning of that process. And here we are five years later uh, and next tomorrow being a three-year anniversary of launching. And, and direct-to-consumer, you mentioned, is a very different model. The handbags and accessories, you know, we sold the Zappos and Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's and, and all the usual retail stores that you would expect. That's how you built brands mm-hmm. back in the day. Well, today, uh, brands are omnichannel. And when you launch a new product, often you have to launch it online because Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom may not buy it right away, right? So that's what we did. We launched online. And there was a whole nother, well, still learning, there's a whole nother set of learnings for for marketing and selling online. And it's not easy because it's incredibly competitive. It's not like you find a great location in a town and you're the only the only store that sells those products. When you launch online, you're competing with the world. And so it's incredibly competitive and and it's exciting, but competitive and challenging. I can only imagine uh, how challenging it is as someone with a, a B2B software business, not a direct-to-consumer business. Greg, thank you so much for chatting. This is such an interesting story. And we will be linking to Sunflow and everywhere you can find Sunflow's products in the show notes. Wonderful. Really nice speaking to you. Thank you for having me on today. It was really fun. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Thank you. Since you've made it to the end of the show, I'm going to take a wild guess that you enjoyed listening. So go ahead, check out the links in the show notes and give us a follow. We both know you want to. Unboxing Humans is hosted by me, Danielle Boris. To learn more about my work, go to daniellebores.com. And don't forget to grab your copy of my new book, The Energy of Weirdos. See you next week and have a fantastic rest of your day.